Well, we are so glad that you're here today. What a, what a wonderful period of worship. And uh, we have so many friends who've joined us. Thank you for honoring us with your presence. We hope that you see today that our, our biggest goal is to introduce you to our very best friend who is Jesus. Because as good as we may try, we're not perfect, but he's perfect. Amen? But we make a lot of mistakes. Uh, years ago, we lived in Pensacola, Florida. I had had a few fender benders and uh, uh, quite a few speeding tickets. Sort of hard to imagine me being in a hurry, but um, somehow it happened. And I, I got this letter from my, my car insurance company saying that they were rejecting me as being any longer under their insurance. And uh, that's not a very fun thing. You guys, don't look at me like you're so holy, okay? I, I'm sure you've had those moments. But I got that letter, and it basically said they were dropping me, and I needed to go seek insurance somewhere else. And I thought at that moment, how many of us feel the same way with, with God? That often we just don't feel good enough, and that we're going to get a letter from God. The letter might go something like this. Dear Mr. Bell, I'm writing in response to this morning's request for forgiveness. I'm sorry to inform you, but you have reached your quota of sins. Our records show that since employing our services, you have erred seven times in the area of greed, and your prayer life is substandard compared to others of like age and circumstance. Further, our records reveal that your understanding of doctrine is the lower 20th percentile, and you have some tendencies to gossip, and your children were caught in the foyer drinking coffee and spilling it on the new couches. And, and because of your sins, you're a high-risk candidate for heaven. You understand that grace has its limits. Jesus sends his regrets, how nice, and kindest regards, and hope that you'll be able to find some kind of other coverage. You ever felt like maybe you were going to get that kind of letter from God? Now, what I want to say to you today is that's not the kind of letter that God desires to send His people. In fact, I want to show you the letter that God sends His people. If you have your Bible, go to Isaiah 62. There's this great, great passage here where God's people are in trouble. And and they think that God is done with them because of all the mistakes that they have made. And so as we go to Isaiah 62... I want to to describe the scene for you. Uh, God's people have been in so much trouble that he had them exiled in Babylon. They've now been able to come back to Jerusalem, but it's a a total disaster area. And they're a disaster. And they don't really think God wants anything else to do with them. And so God writes this letter very different than what I just read you. Listen to what God says, verse 1 here. Because I love Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory. And you will be given a new name. By the Lord's own mouth, the Lord will hold you in his hands for all to see. A splendid crown and the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city 
of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. God says, I am going to change your name. It's like God is the groom and you are the bride and you take upon yourself the name of God. We know that's a beautiful thing. When a man gives his most cherished possession, his name to his bride, when a family gives their name to that adopted child, it's a beautiful thing. And God says, I know you guys have been complete screwballs, but I also know this. The way I look at you is different. And I want you to give you the name of my child, of my bride. And then he tells us why it's all possible in verse 11 and 12. The Lord has sent this message to every land. Tell the people of Israel, look, the Savior is coming. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. Because some, some people call this prophecy in Isaiah 62, the song of the church. Because it's a song about our Savior Jesus coming and giving us new name. They will be called the holy people and the people renewed by the Lord. And Jerusalem will be known as the desirable place and the city no longer forsaken. Now I can sum up today's message for you in one sentence. God desires to change you so radically that he will need to give you a new name. The, the change is so radical. You can be so different by his power that he will do what he does so often. He will rename you. Now, guys, we, we don't always get this because in our day, names are not quite as big a deal as they were in ancient times. We, we normally name people according to the sound of the name. Maybe it's a relative. We don't think about the meaning. I think of, of my daughter, Laura. I, I finally looked up the meaning. We just like the name. But the meaning just means crown of laurel leaves. Or, or Lindsay, from the Linden Tree Islands, where in the world that is. It doesn't, it doesn't mean a lot. We, I call them soap opera names, okay? We just like to name people names that sound good. But in ancient days, when you name someone, you were prophesying over their life. You were predicting what they would be like. You were making a, a statement about their character. So it was so very important. Now, we still understand somewhat that names can mess you up or help you. Johnny Cash made millions of dollars singing about a boy named what? Sue. And in that song, the boy talks about his dad left him at three years old. But he says, the worst thing my dad did was not leave me when I was a child. The worst thing he did was name me Sue. Can you imagine going through life as a boy named Sue? And sometimes we, we see names have some power. About eight years ago, when Robert Bentley was running for governor, I don't know if you remember this, but he wanted to be known as the doctor that was going to solve our problems. And he was a doctor. But he wanted that to be on the ballot. So he literally went to the courthouse and changed his birth certificate to say Dr. Robert Bentley. And that's what actually appeared on the Alabama ballot. And here's what's scary. We fell for it. Okay, we elected the guy. So, so names have some power. Uh, I was reading about a, a young man in California the other day, Peter Eastings Jr. He didn't like his name, but he loved to fish. And so he literally had his name changed 
to trout fishing. Now, can you? I can see some of you out there. That's a good idea, buddy. I think I'll be brim or bass or something. Okay. Well, guys, names have power, and and God always does a great job in naming and often renaming people. I mean, you just walk through Scripture, and God changed a lot of names. And every time he did it, the name signified a significant difference in their life. Let me just quickly show you some. Abram becomes Abraham, the father of nations. Now we think about Abraham as being this great dude. Abram had a big time problem with lying. He lies all over the book of Genesis. He tells a lot of lies. His wife, Sarai, who laughs at the promises of God, becomes Sarah, the mother of nations. I mean, you keep going through Scripture. There's some cool names. Gideon is renamed Jerubbabel because that literally means he broke down Baal's altars. And God wanted to remind him of what the good deed he had done. Solomon, I love this one, becomes Jedediah, which, wow, what a beautiful name means. Loved by God. Wouldn't you like every time your name is said, what said is, hey, this girl, she's, she's loved by God. Now, I understand this a little bit because my, my given name is Hiram, and it's a very great and accurate name because it means prince of men. Okay. So but I, I can relate to this just a little bit. Well, not really. That's why I go my buddy. So here's the favorite, though. Here's my favorite name change the Bible. Let me give you a couple of them. First of all, is Simon becoming Peter. I love that one. But what, what does the word Peter mean? Help me. Rock. Was, was Simon a rock? No. He's the most unstable character. But Jesus wanted to speak a prophecy, a prediction over his life. So he says, I know you're this, this, this wishy-washy, unstable guy, but I believe you can become a rock. And he does. But it starts with Jesus renaming him. I love that story. But again, my, my top favorite story is a wild story in the Old Testament where Jacob becomes Israel. Now, the word Jacob, listen to this, means deceiver or swindler. Swindler. Can, can you imagine that, Jeremy Swindle? Swindler. Sometimes you preach a sermon for everybody. Sometimes it's for one person, all right? But, but it, it meant deceiver, swindler. Now, you know that's Jacob's character. I mean, can you imagine being named that at the beginning? And, and he swindles his brother Esau from his birthright. He deceives his father to give it in this crazy scene. And then when he shipped off to, his, to meet his wife, he cheated his father-in-law out. No wonder he's called deceiver, swindler. But God's going to change his name to something beautiful, Israel. And here's, here's the meaning of the name. The man who wrestled and overcame. It really has the word God in it, L in it, which means the man who wrestled and overcame God. That's pretty wild. So I love this picture where, where we're invited to Genesis <clears throat> to this, this wrestling match. We, we'd say in Montgomery, a, a wrestling match, all right? Uh, WWF, this would be called the main event. And it is in Jacob's life. Because to this point, his life has been, he's gotten by with it, but he's just cheated one person after the other. This is the turning point in his life. And here's what I want you to know today. 
is before you leave this place, we want God to give you a new name that tells you something about yourself maybe you don't even know, but God knows about you. Let's go watch this wrestling match. So first of all, let me, let me give you the picture. Jacob was kicked out of his home with Esau, and, and he's gone to Laban. Now, at this point, Laban's mad at him too, and he's in between Jacob and Laban. He's wanting to go back home, but he doesn't think there's any way that Esau, excuse me, that Esau's going to accept him. And Esau's coming after him. Laban's coming after him the other way. Esau's got 400 troops. That's not a good sign. And so Jacob, who's become a very wealthy man, is trying to figure out what to do. And so in between, he begins to send gifts to Esau. Then he begins to send one half of his family and servants, then another half, because he's afraid if he sends the whole thing, they'll all be slaughtered, so at least do it in, in groups. Finally, he sent everybody but himself. And watch this scene, Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So, verse 24, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This is quite a scene. Jacob, this deceiver, is finally alone. You ever had that dark night when you had to wrestle with your thoughts? With all the, the, the bad things that you had done in your life, the things you had said, the mistakes you had made, you, you just can't get to sleep. And, and you're, you're re- That's the scene that Jacob is in right now. He's wrestling in this dark night, but it's more than just with his thoughts. He's literally, we'll find out by the end of the story, he's wrestling with a man that will be identified in the, the story as God. And he's right there, and everything's coming in on him. And, and watch what happens. When the man wrestling with him saw that he could not overcome him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So the guy he's wrestling with can't overpower Jacob. At least he's not allowed himself to. But he does remind Jacob who's in charge, so he just sort of hits his hip and wrenches it out of place. Anybody ever... You ever wrenched a finger out of socket or a toe? Man, that's, that's really, really painful. Can you imagine a hip? And so the man says to him, verse 26, let me go for it's daybreak. They've been, they've been wrestling all night long. The man asked, then Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, what's your name? Now, if this is God, which you'll find out in a minute it is, do you think he knows Jacob's name? Absolutely. Listen to me. He's not asking the name for information. He's asking the name for confession. He wants Jacob to be able to say out loud who he is. Jacob, he answered. What's he saying? Okay, my name is Deceiver. Then the man said, this is great, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. He replied, why why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, 
It is because I saw the Lord face to face and my life was spared. You see, men have always been afraid of being face to face with God because God is so perfect and we are so imperfect that God would destroy us. That God's perfection would be so overwhelming and our imperfection so terrible that God would overcome us. And Jacob meets God face to face and he survives with a limp. Verse 31, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. He would never forget that wrestling match he had with God. Now let's talk about this and get practical for a moment. When can God change your name? I want you to learn with me this morning. If you have your copy of Lifelines, you might take note. God changes your name when? Now, I want to stop there just for a moment and take a time out. And I want you to just think about some of the names that you've been given in your life. Some of them you probably really, really like. Some of them you probably don't like. Some of them may have come from childhood when someone said you were ugly or you were fat or you were stupid. I've done surveys of this before, and man, people remember those for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. When someone said that certain thing to you, so negative, you can't get it out of your mind. Some of them may have been said to you by people who should have been loving you. Some of them may have been said by by friends who were just cruel. Some of them may have been caused by the failures of your own life. Maybe you you still call yourself an, an alcoholic or a a druggie, or an adulterer, or a divorcee. Those, those names just, they just stay with you, you know. You're a man full of lust. You're, you're greedy. You know what I mean? And those, those, those names by your own failures. And, and, and please understand this. Satan is going to remind you of those failures. Some of these names will come from people. Some will come from your childhood. Come, some will come from your mistake. And Satan, who is the great accuser, will constantly keep those names in front of you. And that's why God loves these kind of dramatic scenes where he can walk in and change your name. No longer are you the disappointment. No longer are you the failure. No longer are you the alcoholic. You're changed. Now, when does that happen? Because listen to me. God's not a bully. He's not just going to march in and change your name if you don't want it changed. If you're determined to live in that, That's not his style. And you can see that with this weird wrestling match with Jacob. When we change your name, number one, when you come to the end of your rope, all right? You come to the end of your rope. The common denominator in all these stories in the Bible about people whose names are changed are that it happens when they finally realize what failures they are. One man wrote, when you come to the end of your rope, you come to the beginning of God. And so if, if you come to this assembly this morning and your life is not what it ought to be and you're not who you ought to be and you know it, that's not a bad place to be, my friend. That's, that's when, when real change happens. Hosea says that Jacob was so broken at this moment, he was so confused, his whole life was flashing in front of him, that he, he broke down weeping in the arms of God. So you come to the end of your rope. Number two, you confess who you are. God wanted Jacob to have the experience 
of, of him saying he's a deceiver. And that's the power of confession. If you've been here at Landmark over the last month, man, we have, we've just had an outpouring of honesty, openness, and confession. Um, if you're our guest today, this is a very imperfect church with a very imperfect preacher. But, but what I do love about this church is, is I think you could confess anything up here and be loved and accepted and helped. And we've seen that happen the last few weeks. And my friends, I think that's a reflection of God. Let, let, I want to explain to you what God detests, what God does not like. God does not like us to, to cover up our sins. If you see Jesus mad at anybody, it's religious people who try to act like they've got it together, who come to church every Sunday, shake each other's hand, and say we're all doing fine. He can't stand that. He can't even deal with that because you can't help someone who, first of all, doesn't admit they've got a problem. So what God can deal with are those of us who are willing to say, you know what? I do struggle with depression. I do struggle with pornography. I do struggle with this addiction. I do struggle with this, God, and I need your help. When I finally get to the end of my rope, then God can help me. And when I finally get to the point where I I say it out loud, God can deal with that. So this morning, the the idea is not that you need to come here and cover up because you're in church or you're before God. Guess what? God knows it already. God said about each one of us, you're all sinners. In fact, the Bible goes so far to say, if any man claims to not be a sinner, he is a liar. So confess who you are. Number three, surrender to God's control. That's what happens with Jacob. Now, listen, God is not willing to overpower Jacob. Do you think God could have won this wrestling match in a second? Absolutely. He could have pinned him down. He could have obliterated him. But God loved Jacob too much for that. He's not trying to embarrass him. He's not, God's not trying to humiliate him. He's trying to save him. See, some of us think, if, if I ever got in a wrestling match with God and saw him face to face, man, he'd just blast me. He'd just add more bad names to my already bad list. No, he wouldn't. He'd wrestle with you. He'd stick with you. But what he would do is he would hold on to you and wrestle with you till you finally have that hip out of joint and you're reminded, you know, as much as I try to control things, I can't control it. You see, the problem with Jacob to this point, and the problem with most of us, if we'd be honest, is that we're self-sufficient, okay? In other words, I go through life, and most of the problems that come up in my life, I can fix, I can finagle things. I can do things. I can get my finances in order. I can sort of save my marriage. I can do a little better on my children, you know. I can uh, make work work out. I mean, many of us, you, you've gone through life, and to this point, either honestly or even dishonestly, you've been able to make things work. That was Jacob. I mean, despite the fact that he's a, a, a deceiver, Jacob so far, man, he's got the birthright. He's got the blessing. He's got the money. I mean, to this point in his life, he's been able to be self-sufficient. But finally, in this moment, alone in the darkness with God, he recognizes the truth is he's not in control. You know, the great lies and delusions of our age is that we can control our lives. If I just do the right things and save enough for retirement and treat people right, listen, something could happen today that could completely change your life. 
It, it's an illusion. And, and, and the, the quicker you and I come to that conclusion, you could be struck with a disease. You could be struck by a car. I mean, the, the, the quicker we come to that conclusion, the quicker we're going to get to God. And, and that's what happens with Jacob. He realizes he's not in control. And he's got to have God. That brings me to number four. The name will come when you won't let go until God blesses you. And that's what I love about Jacob. Jacob finally grabs hold of this figure in the middle of the night and says, you're not getting away from here until you change me and bless me. Can I ask you this morning, how long have you been wrestling with God? I mean, you want to be independent and do your thing, but you know the will of God and and sometimes dark in the night, you know you're not right. You know your habits aren't right. Your language isn't good. The way you treat some people is not right. And, and you wrestle with God. How, how long have you been doing that? You go, you know, I really want to go to heaven. I want to be with God. But on the other hand, I want to do it. But I want to do it and I want to do it. It's just selfishness. How long have you been wrestling with God? When are you finally going to recognize? He's in, now, this is a painful process for you and for God. I'd compare it to to trying to to sleep train a young child. I mean, it's it's awful when that you put your baby in bed and and they scream. And I remember our first child, we would would get her out of bed every time. And we spent eight months with no sleep because it was all night long. Until our doctor finally said, put her in bed, don't get her out. Every 15 minutes, just go go love on her and tell her you're here. And eventually she'll get out. That, that was, I know it was painful for her, at least it sounded that way. And it was, it was painful for us to hear that. But if you love your child, you do what's best for him. And guys, God loves you. He's not wrestling with you because he doesn't like you. He's wrestling with you because he wants to win you over. But he's not going to force you into it. Not until you finally come to the point that you say, you know what, God? I trust you and, and I'm not letting go until you bless me. I mean, there, there is an incredible persistence here. Jesus put it this way. Ask and you'll find. Seek and ask, seek and knock, right? Ask and it shall give and be given to you. Now I'm getting it. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. Do you see the, the levels that, that Jesus goes on that? Ask, you seek, you knock. You want to find God? God, listen to me, guys. Please listen to me. God's not going to bulldoze his way into your life. He's just not going to do it. So what do you do? You, you ask, where is God? You come to his neighborhood, where's God? But you don't just find out where the address is. You seek, you, you show up at his house. But you don't just show up at his house. You ask, you seek, and then finally you knock. You just... God, I want in. I want you. I'm not leaving, Lord, until you bless me. You see, for many of us, I think our problem today is that we gave up. We were wrestling with God, and it got too painful. It it seemed to be taking too long. I I wanted to happen like this. The truth is, with God, it normally doesn't happen like that. And so we finally just let go. Say, you know what? I know you're other God, but I don't seem to be to get there. Well, what you need to do is turn back around and go, you know what, God? I am grabbing hold of you. I'm holding on to you. I'm going to wrestle with you until you finally just bless me and change me. And how far will you change me? Until you make me brand new. Don't just improve me, God. Make me new. Change my name.
And here's the good news today. My friend, he has got the power to do it. So I want to show you a video that, that has this beautiful song about being free. Where it says over and over, God makes all things new. Where God's going to change the picture you have of yourself. So we come here today going, do we need that kind of change? I like the Polaroid picture. I like the way it develops slowly because I think that's the way life goes. But what they say is your, your image of yourself, the picture you have of yourself, we, we call that your self-image. And that's really important. And I asked you this morning, when you see your picture, what picture do you see? Do you see all those, those bad names you've been called through life and the accusations of Satan? Or, or are you going to see today what God says to you? Do you see the rejection notice, you know, that you're not qualified? Or do you see the acceptance notice from God that I love you? You see, they say that your self-image, that picture you have of yourself, is determined by what you believe the significant others in your life believe about you. Do you catch that? What you believe the significant others in your life think about you. So that's why as a child, your self-image comes from your parent. As a teenager, often it comes from your peers. And when you get married, it's probably from your spouse. Or And often that gets distorted. And what I want to say to you, if, if you want to leave this place with the the right picture today, you need to make God the significant other of your life. You say, well, would he want to be that? Absolutely. We're about to go to some tables in a moment where there's representation of his his death. He loves you so much that he died for you. If you're our guest today, we invite you to go to the table and take of this bread that represents his perfect life and his body given for you. Take of the cup that represents the blood he shed on your behalf. And what the cross communicates, it's the moment that God ripped his chest wide open and showed his heart and said, I love you this much. And because of what he's done, He wants to change you so radically that he will rename you. So when you go to the table today, we have these little Polaroid shots with words on it from the book of Ephesians like chosen, forgiven, strong, accepted. As you take to the table and you remember how much God loves you, and you remember he's got the power to change you, take one of those names and take it home with you to remind you what God said. And also, while we're doing that, we've got some time where you'll be going to the tables. If today, you need to confess. You need to admit who you've been in front of this church. Meet me here on this front row, and you can make that confession, and you can leave here forgiven because you stopped covering it up and you confessed it. Or maybe today is the day that you want to become a follower of Jesus, and you'll meet him in baptism up here in this water and come out a new person. One of the coolest traditions of the first few centuries of Christianity is that when someone was baptized, they would literally change their name to identify who they were. And so today, if you need a new name, you come to the right place. Well, the worship team comes up here, and while we prepare to sing, I invite you to go to the tables, to partake, to take your name. If you need to show up here on this front bench, for us to pray for you, for you to submit your life to Jesus. He'll be a safe place for you to come. Let's praise God and let's go to his table today.